Culture Eats Strategy for Lunch, and informed cultures drive decisions and inspire action. At the Data Culture Podcast, we talk with execs, visionaries, and data experts so that you may move from idea to outcome in your own data culture journey. Welcome to the Data Culture Podcast. My name is Sid Atkinson, data culture innovator and consulting leader with over 21 years in data. And with us today is Amy Nichol. Amy is a visionary and CEO of OpenBlock, a startup dedicated to revolutionizing the world through the power of technology and community engagement. She has over 25 years of experience in enterprise, government, and the technology sectors, and has taken on the challenge of entrepreneurship, driven by an unwavering passion for making a positive impact on society. She's a mother of three grown children and has a perspective that has been shaped by her experience as a parent and her desire to create a better world. Her extensive technology background, including data, artificial intelligence, and blockchain, has equipped her with the knowledge and skills needed to drive innovation with her OpenBlock platform. Amy and I first started working together in her time at Microsoft. And so, Amy, it's great to have you on the show. Looking forward to the conversation today. Thanks for having me, Sid. Good to be here. In your time at Microsoft, and you were there for quite a few years in different roles, but all related to data. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, is that we kind of orbited (laughs) each other on different initiatives for a while. But there is a key point in time and on our observations where, you know, that we just, we stopped orbiting in these kind of varied circles, Mm -hmm. not linking together and really kind of came in line on something. And I, I remember that conversation well. So what, you know, but, but you're the guest here. So what is your, you know, we had a lot of fun. So suddenly there was this explosion right. of content and thoughts. Yeah, we, we had a lot, I think, of what I would consider waves of technology that greatly influenced data. Uh, one of those being cloud infrastructure and the availability of things like Azure, being that we, you know, I worked at Microsoft. And I think when, you know, when we really started to see the cloud adoption with our customers, uh, I think customers started getting a little bit lost because there was such a focus on infrastructure. There was such a focus on networking, which is critical, right? You can't run the data mm-hmm. without those things. But we've, we found that a lot of folks were really struggling with what is that part of my strategy look like? What's that part of my journey look like? And then when you combine that with, you know, the years of uh, data collection and the silos of data that customers had created, um, there was really just this chaotic mess of of information that our customers really needed help planning and deciphering. And that's where the modern data culture became the light, really, at the end of the tunnel for our customers. You know, finally, a way for us to plan for today as well as for the future. And that's that's really where I think that um, our synergy came to play. I remember the conversation because you pinged me on Teams that day. <laughs> and it's like, hey, I have an idea. <laughs> and, and it was really funny because we, you know, I, I don't even remember it, but we, it, it's, you were saying, I've got, you know, we have all these frameworks for helping people adopt cloud, mm-hmm. but we don't have any approaches that really tells them how they should focus on what to do with it right. and specifically their data. And so then you ping my team and say, hey, do you, I've got this idea. Do you, do you have time to talk about it? And it's like, well, Amy, it's really, and I have a message back. It's like, it's really funny you have that idea. I have this idea too. Right. So 
but we got on and had different perspectives, right? Like like we were looking at the same thing, you know, what drove that initial problem identification Mm -hmm. on your side? You've got this perspective being at Microsoft right? and and you were seeing things and you could see things I couldn't see. Well, it was very interesting because at the time, you know, I, uh, I was in the national role, right? And in that capacity, I had the opportunity to work with customers across the entire United States. And I had a team of individuals that were also working with customers across the United States, very detailed level on these, these problems. And I had mm-hmm. one team member in particular who had embraced this philosophy of data culture. And what I saw was, was not only the success in the implementation of the work that this team member was doing, but I saw a, a much greater level of satisfaction from the customer's perspective. And I think what happened in this, you know, like I mentioned, the synergy is it was right place, right time, right? Um, we've got this collision of, of technology that was happening on the part of the customer, and then they're left holding their hands up with regard to data. And then, you know, we had, like I said, a team member who had embraced this philosophy and started coaching our customers and, and really just kind of taking them through the journey. And as we saw that, not only did we see greater satisfaction, we saw the ability for these customers to be able to adopt more modern technology. And that really was one, I think, of the uh, driving factors that we saw, right? We, in the last, you know, five, six years, and heck, let's not even talk about the last five or six months, but artificial (laughs) intelligence, right? When we had this ability to start, uh, to start incorporating AI into our processes in a very easy way, well, at least what we thought was very easy, our customers were really struggling. And it wasn't just AI, mm-hmm. it was a lot of things, but AI was a big driver because we see all of these great benefits. But then when you look at your infrastructure and how your data is organized, if you're not really, uh, if you're not properly architected for the future, then we end up in this place where we have all these things that we want to do, but we can't get our hands around what we need to do with the data to get there. And this really, I mean, it, it's no different than anything that I want to learn today, right? I'm going to I'm gonna search, I'm going to find a solution, I'm going to find a roadmap, and then I'm going to follow the roadmap because nobody wants to start from scratch today, right? So this was a framework. It was a way for uh, folks to jump in very quickly to take advantage of, uh, you know, the ability to begin small, right? We don't have to, we don't have to boil the ocean, but we could start to address these workloads of information where we really wanted to be able to empower our users to be able to ask questions, get answers, right? Your data should be the uh, the gold standard for how you make decisions. And we really couldn't do that. And this, the adoption of modern data culture was beginning to enable these things, all of these things for our customers. And that's when I reached out to you to say, hey, you know, We've got a small team. We had 13 people covering the in- entire United States. And even if every one of those focused on it, there's no way we, we could get to every single customer. So we needed a partner. And that's where we began working together on this. I want to revisit what you said, because I think there's an incredibly important insight in, in there in, in what you and your team and, and this particular team member uncovered. And, and that is when we look at our data journeys and we look at, you know, the all of these data journeys are in pursuit of questions, of answers. It's the fuzzy parts of the business that can make us squirm at times if we don't have the right thing or if we don't have a way that we know how to get to the goal. And you use the word framework, right? It's like, hey, 
I'm going to go on custom journeys. But just because I'm going to go on a custom journey with you doesn't mean that everything I have to do mm -hmm. is custom. Correct. And that was one of the things that, you know, this individual and then, you know, you and the team worked on is it's like we, we framework for approaching problem. Mm -hmm. It sounds simple, mm -hmm. but there's an art in doing that. Right, right. And one of the things that you said, I think, is probably the most critical thing to understand as anybody embarks on this journey. Your journey will be unique, right? We, we know that. Um, mm -hmm. There's no such thing as just showing up and knowing everything that you need to know about how a customer can implement modern data culture. Um, so that first phase, you know, is really critical. I, I think what we found was the more time that we were able to spend side by side with customers, really understanding how all of the data moved throughout the ecosystem, really understanding the requirements from the business user, getting buy-in from multiple types of users within the organization was absolutely critical um, because that planning stage ultimately results in what your end product is going to be. And without, you know, without the proper upfront considerations, you really just end up with another mess. And one of the things that was always very painful is when you would work with, with folks that really did not embrace this strategy, it, you can get to the end game, right? There, there's a million ways to skin this cat. There's technology for everything. But if you just go buy technology for the sake of implementing technology because you think it's going to solve a problem, that's a band-aid. That's not really going to fix anything. We have to get to the root of the problem. So those early stage planning discussions and like the workshops that you and your team would do with our customers where we, we would dig into things like security. This is a data conversation, but security is such an important component. So we have to have those people in the room. We would dig into things like your, you know, what's your key performance metric supposed to be at the end of this? Um, so looking at the entire spectrum of the data from start to finish, where it begins and where it ends is absolutely critical. Absolutely. And there's an interesting piece and there's, there's a whole lot of power in naming things. And that mm -hmm. was also something, uh, an interesting insight that you and the team had is that you started to create a brand right. around this process. Yes. And, and how did customers react once you started doing that? We saw a huge uptick in the opportunities. And, and by that, I mean, we were really following on the tails, like I mentioned, of a lot of infrastructure work in putting things into the cloud because cloud is without question a big part of the, the framework, the strategy. And what we would see is we had something that was branded for infrastructure, for networking, for security, and it was called the cloud adoption framework, mm -hmm. right? But it really stopped at the point where you should begin considering what to do with the data. And modern data culture then became the next thing that we could plug in for our customers. So I think it fit really well in the entire ecosystem of, you know, planning for cloud, but it went way beyond just cloud adoption. It was all data adoption because quite frankly, um, and, and especially going back, you know, five or six years, which is kind of when we started these conversations, not every customer wants to put all of their data into the cloud. And so really addressing this from a cloud adoption perspective wasn't the right way to go about it. So thinking of this from the, you know, from the angle of this is just, this is how I'm going to 
embrace a methodology that will prepare me for the future and all of the things that I will need to do with my data was really important. And um, we, we definitely saw a huge increase in the number of customers willing to engage with us on these conversations as a result of the branding. And a lot of that did come from my, my team member, the data bear that we talked about, right? Um, <laughs> and he was very good at this, this conversation, but uh, the, the branding was definitely a key component. There's that pivotal conversation the two of us had where we were merging the two insights, right? Whereas Bear had identified a way to brand and a way to, there is a, a custom journey everybody has to take, but how can I make that journey feel less scary by showing prescriptive steps, but prescriptive mm -hmm. steps towards solving something that is unique to you. And, and then we were taking, you know, at the time I was at Catapult, we were taking a similar but different journey. You know, how was it from your perspective merging, you know, like the insights we had and the insights that you and Darren were having? Well, I, I think one of the things I'll call out is a lot of, uh, you know, organizations may feel that what they're doing is, is either too small or too big to tackle, right? Uh, which is ironic mm -hmm. because you can be one or the other, but you can't be both. But what we found is, you know, focusing on a single problem was really critical when we were, one of the things that I'll, I'll bring up, um, COVID, right? So go back a few years when the world shut down and we, I was working with a lot of government agencies at that time. And it was really critical that we were able to swiftly be able to put in place these uh, reporting mechanisms and tracking mechanisms for all of the vaccinations, right? And so as part of that, we're, we're looking at one problem, right? We have one set of metrics that we need to be able to measure and report. But at the end of the day, that wasn't one set of information, right? That was data that was coming from several places. But the fact that we were able to focus on the one problem, I think that that was a very, a very good example of how when we look at data culture, it doesn't matter if you're a teeny tiny shop. It doesn't matter if you're an enterprise, you know, trillion dollar a year customer, right? Whether you sit on the small end or the large end, you are, you're going to have to start with what's one problem that we want to solve. Because when you tackle that one problem, what you're finding is this framework is going to start pulling along all of the information. So maybe that one problem uh, gets us to address 20% of the information, but then we go to the next problem and the next problem, and we just slowly begin massaging and moving all of the data into the framework. And at the end of the day, you know, heaven forbid, but if there were another COVID crisis and we had to drop everything and find new ways to report these customers who had embraced this methodology would be able to swiftly stand up what it is they need to get done, connect it to the right components and get the, the metrics and information and reports that they need because they had taken the steps to get organized up front. Um, but COVID, I think, was really a, a shining example of how this strategy can work swiftly and can work really for any size of customer. And I, th I think that was a key insight on both sides, right? Where we interlocked on like how we were approaching walking customers through this and how you were approaching customers. And so where then it made our, our different learnings mesh very well. Mm -hmm. I think you, 
I couldn't agree more looking at one problem because we as humans are very good at being busy. Yes. We're very good at finding things to do. And <laughs> organizations are very good at finding things for people to do. And so your insight is, is very similar. We stated it differently, but it was essentially the same thing. How do I increase focus so that I can accomplish things? Right, right. And so the insight, I think we were both walking customers too, is it's not, it's not doing the work itself. It's the ability to do the work that has to increase because yes. you're going to constantly get new questions and new things. So your ability to handle that is, is more important it, uh, than the work itself. The work will be the byproduct of your capability to do the work. Definitely, definitely. And I like to think of it kind of like uh, if you've ever worked with a personal trainer, you know, and you're working out in the gym and maybe you're having an off day and you don't feel so great. You feel like maybe I didn't accomplish that much today. Uh, my trainer would mm -hmm. always say to me, well, it's better than sitting on the couch, right? You, you're not going to get anywhere <laughs> if you don't at least step on the treadmill, right? So this, I think of like, that's that first step. You just have to start walking. You have to get to a point where you have some kind of momentum. And when I, I think one of the, the greatest things that you can ever experience when you're in a role like ours, Sid, is when the customer does achieve that first milestone and they realize the success. And it's suddenly, you know, it's like the light comes on. Yes, this is possible. We can do this for an entire organization. Um, it, you know, but you have to have first experience that. You have to take that first step, which it can be a little bit scary. But, uh, but thanks to you and your team and some of the great work of the folks on my team, you know, we saw a lot of folks with a, a great deal of success around this. Yeah, as you said, that first step to keeping people focused so that they can define something that raises that belief level. Because the funny thing is that many times we're asking them to do similar work to mm -hmm. what they've done today, but it also is in pursuit of unlocking new capabilities, things that they haven't done. And so, so much, I, I think we both saw the same thing, so much people would focus on all the things that they haven't done and get fearful of those first steps, knowing it's like you have the capability and the ability to do Take these steps. And by the time you're ready to get to those future fun things, you'll have built that competency. Right. And so it's, it's how, do we, how do we get people and help them even build their own belief in the ability to pursue huge modernization strategies in the cloud? The, the, yes, the idea of you know, building you know, ML or data, you know, doing advanced data science work and like, you know, having key insights and then actually having something, a model published by the end of the week, that can be very scary. But we're, don't worry, we're not there yet. You can take these first couple of steps, Yes. Um, you know, just to get data in, get data available, get data discoverable, get it locked down and, and secured so the right people are using it. There was another key insight that I want to underline a bit, what you said and what you and Bear worked on. There's a lot of, as we say, keep the customer in the room. Mm -hmm. And I think that was something else that y'all did that was very important. How did either you or Bayer come to that learning on, hey, we, we're working with, in your case, it was state and local government. Mm -hmm. The customer can feel more nebulous to them than it can say, like our private enterprise customers, right. enterprise companies that we're working with. How would y'all help them keep the customer in the room so you pick that right first step? You know, a lot of these conversations, I think really flourished when we had, like I mentioned, the right, people in the room, but you said something mm -hmm. that I want to go back to. And you talked about the resources and 
how people are going about executing on these things. Well, our state and local government customers were extremely shy on resources. I think that's a pretty common challenge that we see is, mm-hmm. is that pushback of we don't have the people to take on a project like that. Like and that's a, and that's a very common response that we hear. But when you look at the framework and begin to understand what it is we're trying to tackle, you, you just said this, we're not really asking you to do anything that your people aren't already doing. We're asking you to incorporate a process and a protocol that ensures that everything that you do is is being mindful of this framework, right? And it's no different than a security protocol that you put into place to ensure that your users aren't clicking on phishing emails, right? We just have to have modern data culture at every turn in our operations. And when we think about it that way, it's really just reframing the work that the resources are already tackling into something that ensures we're considering the outcome of the data from the beginning, right? So so it becomes this philosophy of, okay, anytime we tackle a project and there's data involved, which is almost always, then we have to consider what is this project going to look like in the framework of modern data culture, right? And taking that approach means, okay, maybe we don't have to tackle the world of the past in our data silos today, but what is the next project that you're working on? What is the next thing that we can be impactful on? And, you know, latching onto that project and then incorporating the modern data culture framework as part of the project becomes a meaningful way for resources to, to identify, oh, hey, this isn't something new I have to go learn. It's just maybe a bit of a change in the operational workflow. And that I think is, is an important mindset to have because if you ever think of this from the perspective of, oh, I have to take all of my stuff and refactor and become this, this new way of doing things, um, it's extremely cumbersome. And, and most of my customers did not have the budget or the resources to be able to tackle something like that. Yeah. And the art of it is helping them feel that it is familiar enough that they, they become less fearful of what is really going to be different. Right. And that is one thing that not to undersell, too, is that we are trying to walk people to a completely different um, paradigm in, in some cases. They are capable, but they have to believe that they are capable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the most telling metrics is, you know, well, what's your deployment velocity? <laughs> yeah, what's your deployment frequency? There, There's getting them to shift just a simple mindset around how often I make things available and and that metric, I've I've harped on that metric in particular because it's the it is a simple metric, you know, knowing deployment frequency is a simple metric. It's highly measurable, mm-hmm. but actually impacting that wakes up so many things in the enterprise. Right. Uh, it's like how do I collaborate with how am I collaborating across groups? Because usually everybody has a piece of the pie when it comes to getting code out, when it comes to getting data out. Well now. I'm now talking to the CDO and the CISO and then the, the infrastructure ops. And oh, by the way, I need to smooth all these things over so that the next time I go to the program leads and say, all right, well, what are we doing for you know women, infant, children, or whatever the, that particular group is, you know, they know that that next insight can come a couple of weeks from now right. versus, oh yeah, you're doing requirements gathering for something that's going to be, you know, at fiscal year 2026. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's a common mindset, I think. We saw a lot of that. So now 
Darren is working on a book on this topic, uh -huh. and I believe you are going to be become a contributor to that book. Yeah. Um, is there any quick plug? I don't want to, wait, Darren's going to come be on the show later, but uh, okay. uh, is there going to be a quick plug that you want to give on why you know y'all decided to collaborate on? You know, originally our our ambition around putting this in, on paper was really just to help customers. We just wanted more mm -hmm. tools for our customers to be able to adopt this on their own if they were able. Um, we certainly recommend getting assistance because like the the tools and things like that that you and your team had developed were things that would accelerate a lot of the components of this. But just having access to the material so that you can begin making these decisions and enforcing some of the operational changes you know, I thought was was really important. So we began working on this um, a couple of years back, and I know that he's got what I'll call a short version of this coming very soon. And it's my hope that in the final version that we can really embrace not just modern data culture, but starting to think about, you know, what are the things that maybe we haven't considered, even as part of modern data culture? What are the what are the uh, the technologies that are on the forefront that are going to continue to impact this framework? And I think about things like OpenAI, like Web three, right? Those aren't mm -hmm. the kinds of of uh, you know solution in technology that that our customers are really have top of mind today. But forward thinking. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say very good chance that that's going to be coming to the forefront in the next couple of years, especially as we start to see legislation and things like that around ethical use of AI and um, and the ability to incorporate ledger-based technologies in the work that we do. So I do think that's going to be critical. Uh, but the book itself, you know, it, I'd say we're still a ways away, but we really just want there to be a reference. We want folks who are curious, who are, you know, maybe putting together data strategies from the beginning or even startups, right? Like, how do I do this the right way if I'm beginning from scratch? Which, you know, is a dream come true. We would all love to be able to be in that position. So we want to make sure those tools are available to the people that are going down this path. We all benefit from increasing everybody's knowledge and experiences. Like, you know, this is the beautiful thing about you know, podcasting and blogs and and books is not. It's it's a way for us to to share our experiences so that hopefully people don't make those mistakes that either we yeah. have made or our other customers have made. Right. And, and also, quite frankly, it makes my job and your job easier if if their awareness and and ability and knowledge is increased. Yeah. So in talking about the book, you also hinted at something else that I think would be fun to transition to. And and people are probably curious, like, well, wait a minute, Sid introduced Amy as CEO of Open Block, but then we talked about Microsoft. Right. So now, <laughs> um, you, you recently said, you know, I had this wonderful job at Microsoft. People love me, and I, I've got great benefits, and I'm going to step away from all that. Right. <laughs> and so you've taken this very bold, bold move. step. <laughs> yeah. Bold move. Yeah. So what propelled that? What propelled that move? Uh, you know, it's it's really a difficult thing to instill in other people because I don't, you know, I know that there are a lot of factors that impact, you know, people being able to, quote, switch careers. But I was at Microsoft for nearly 15 mm -hmm. years. And as you mentioned, you know, I had a phenomenal job. I love the company. I love I love the space. You know, I really think that Microsoft does a fantastic job with the the data applications that they make available. But at the end of the day, 
you know, we're still focused on widgets. And I don't mean that to undermine any of, of the work at Microsoft, but your, your goal in that role is to help consumers adopt the technology that you're creating, which creates what I just got done saying we don't want to do. We don't want to implement technology for the sake of technology. And so uh, over the course of my journey, you know, I, I had exposure to a lot of things. And when I became knowledgeable about Web3, uh, it, it really kind of opened my eyes because what I'm seeing in the future is this ability for all of our digital assets to be owned by an individual, right? And that individual will be credentialed and verified, which eliminates a lot of the challenges that we have today around identity, right? 2FA and, well, where's my information? Because if you think about the internet today, there's really only one thing you can own and that's a domain, right? You put a picture or a document into the interwebs, right? You don't know where it goes. You don't know who downloads it, who access it, who shares it, who calls it their own and maybe makes money from it. And the new internet, as they call it, Web3, will eliminate that, right? It gives us this ability to have absolute ownership over anything digital, to have it tied back to ourselves, And from there to be able to, you know, do things like if I, if I sell a picture or print, I'm a photographer, right? In my, in my spare time. But if I sell one of my prints and I, create that as a non-fungible token, an NFT, I can associate certain programmable rights to that asset. And now I can say, okay, if I sell this to you, Sid, and then you turn around and sell it a year from now because your webcast blew up and we got so popular and everybody wanted to buy this NFT, you make a million dollars off of it. I can ensure that I get royalties in perpetuity. So this philosophy is not something we've ever had access to as part of any data strategy that I've ever been involved in. And what I saw was a very, a very large opportunity for us to help people, right? So I think about all of the things that are going on in the world and, you know, all of the struggles that our communities deal with. And one of the things that we're addressing with this is, okay, how can we ensure that the people who are working in our, you know, most impoverished communities have the right tools to be able to accelerate their own efforts, to be able to, you know, make things available that weren't before. And so we're partnering with nonprofits using this strategy around Web3 to build an ecosystem of applications that will accelerate all of their work. So the goal here is they don't have a lot of money, right? We're, I'm used to working with people that don't have a lot of money, don't have a lot of resources. And we're going to use this in every way, shape and form to be able to enable these nonprofits and community workers um, to just accelerate everything that they do to become more educated. We're talking about, you know, job and workforce development and, uh, you know, even things like fundraising, right? This ability to put the, uh, uh, the, the donations on Web3 and track where every donor dollar gets spent. That's not something we can do today, right? And, and I think that that is exactly what the space needs. And I think the timing is perfect. So yeah, my new strategy is really all around Web3, which lives on blockchain. And uh, it, there's, it's funny because there's this, this crazy sort of overlap between, you know, my old world of modern data culture and traditional data systems. And now the new web, which it's a completely different way to interact with data. But at the end of the day, it's still an application and there's just still data on the back end. So how do we make sure that all of these things are organized? 
and we're embracing modern data culture and planning for the future and all the things we talk about, right? But now we're introducing, oh, well, there's there's ledger-based technology. So we just have to think a little bit differently about the approach, but it's been a phenomenal journey. We've been doing it for about a year now and uh, prepping to launch as we speak. Awesome. I think there's a hopeful and beautiful future to what you're talking about. And so to back up and so that that hopeful and beautiful future is a little bit understood, what you are talking and looking about has this intersection and what everybody's now realizing is we need to be more responsible, right? A lot of the things that have happened with the use of data, Cambridge Analytica, Clearview AI, scraping all these images with nobody's permission whatsoever um, and, and to build facial recognition. There's a responsibility piece that, that thankfully the world is waking up to. It's mm-hmm. like, wow, I, I now am seeing the power of what you're doing with this data that I didn't quite realize I gave you permission to use. Yeah. Oh, maybe I don't want to actually do that anymore. And so you know, both laws are changing, but frameworks and the capability. And so when you and I first start talking about what the, your projects and what you're working on, that, that ability to create a more responsible future um, wherein more people are benefiting and, and have a level playing field and have agency and ownership was something that was very exciting. So I think we're, we're very much oh looking forward to seeing, you know, where you're going on this journey. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, it's, it's huge. This, I, I really do feel like this is the next revolution of, of data systems, you know, even going back to like EFCOD in the seventies and our very first relational database. I think that this can be that significant. I really do. But what you said is one of the core components. I mean, imagine if you could just open up your your application on your device and you see everything that you should have access to, right? Your driver's license, your social security card, your license for your car, like, and it's all just sitting there in your device, safely kept and associated to you. Um, but mm-hmm. think about what that enables for government and what it restricts from you know the the standpoint of companies abusing data, it won't be possible in the future mm-hmm. for companies to use that data without our permission. It won't be possible for them to use our data without paying us for it. Um, and if you look into Jack Dorsey, you know the former CEO of Twitter, he's got a big project right now on stacks for for Bitcoin, where he's mm-hmm. extremely focused on this this data ownership. What's the principle of me being in charge of all of my own information. And that just, it wasn't possible for us to do that before. That's why the technology gets me so excited because a decade ago, we literally did not have the capability to do what Jack Dorsey's trying to do today and what I'm trying to do today with uh, with these companies. And so that, I think it makes it exciting. Users across the globe should be just tickled because um, we're looking out for them and I think it's gonna be a better future for all. So Amy, you have a lot of things that you're working on. Where can people follow or find out more uh, on on your initiatives? Yeah, they can find us at openblock.group. That's our web address. And uh, we're just about to publish our white paper out there. And that's where all the fun stuff sits is in that white paper where we talk about the applications and the purpose and our our strategy and plan, openblock.group. Awesome. Well, I think there's going to be a, definitely a lot more to talk about in the future. Look forward to hearing it. And thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Sid. It's awesome to be here. Thank you for listening and being an advocate of the data culture community. Curiosity intersected with data can inform and inspire change for the betterment of all. Let's build cultures to make this happen. 
If you have a topic, want to be a guest or chat, reach out to me, Sid Atkinson, or my co-host Lee Harper on LinkedIn via DM or via the Data Culture Podcast LinkedIn group. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please do so anywhere you get podcasts. Be sure to join our LinkedIn group to engage with your fellow data culture changemakers and visionaries. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.